through praying about it and through thinking about it and uh, just asking the Lord, like, man, what do you want me to share this morning? I just felt like the Lord was saying, just be yourself. Like, be you, be real, uh, talk about, like, what you're going through. And um, some of you know kind of our story uh, with our son and just the, the health challenges that we've had over the past seven months or so. And so uh, just a little background, uh, 35 weeks we went to my wife's appointment and they weren't sure that his heart was beating and they wanted us to go to the emergency room and get a BPP scan and make sure that he was okay and see if he could keep cooking in there or if we had to get him out. And uh, we went and luckily his heart was beating and um, but there were some concerns with what was going on. So they told us that we had to go home and pack a bag and come back for an emergency induction. And so we did that. And ever since then, it's just been, you know, one thing after the other. Countless ER trips, um, doctor's visits. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, something that the Lord has been using in my life is, is a psalm. And so that's what we're going to study today. Um, it's something that's been really near and dear to my heart. It's been ministering to my wife. It's been ministering to me. And it's been uh, kind of a beacon and hope of hope in this season that we're in. And so I know that we've been in, you know, the past couple years we've been in this pandemic and there's been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of chaos. And so my hope and my prayer is that through studying this psalm uh, that's been ministering to me in our house, that, that it would minister to you as well and give you some hope. And so we're going to be in Psalm 126. This morning, if you want to open your Bibles and turn there. And so just a cool thing about the Psalms real quick, there's, there's five distinctions in the Psalms, or five breakdowns, if you will. And uh, the fifth and final breakdown is Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. And these Psalms are uh, what many scholar, scholars believe are the songs that Israel was singing as they were being delivered back into Jerusalem after the 70 years away. And Psalm 126 is a call to us to remember God's mercy in our lives, particularly in crisis. And so there are two things I want to do this morning before we even get started. Uh, And one of the things is I want you to think of a past circumstance or a past situation um, that God has led you through, that you're on the other side of, and you can look back and see his faithfulness at work. So just for a second, just begin to think of, of, of something that happened in your life. And the second thing I want us to think about this morning uh, is something in your life currently that you're having trouble uh, trusting the Lord in. Whether it's a relationship or a financial situation, maybe it's your job, uh, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your pain. Maybe it's your story. But whatever it is, just begin to bring that to the forefront of your mind. Begin to think about it and ask yourself this question and ask it honestly. Do I trust God with my fill in the blank? You may not be able to fill in that blank now and I can't fill it in for you. Uh, But just keep thinking about it as we study this psalm, as we look at it. And keep asking yourself that question of can I trust God? Do I trust God with my blank. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, Lord, we thank you this morning, God, for, for the way that you speak to us, and for, Lord, the, the way that you work all things for our good. And Lord, it's hard to believe that sometimes, and it's hard to see that sometimes. God, but would you help us this morning to cling to the promise uh, that you give, that what we sow 
in tears, we're going to reap in joy. And God, for those of us in here this morning that are in a good season, would you help us to look back at our lives and the seasons that we've gone through, to look back and see your faithfulness and rejoice in, in what you've led us through. Uh, would you just speak to our hearts when we pray this in Jesus' name? And everyone said, amen. So I'm going to read Psalm 126. It's just six verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll go through it. But it says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now we see in verse 1, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. And the ESV says that their fortunes were returned. And so there's two Hebrew words here that are used. There's shuv and there's shavah. And shavah is a play off of shuv. But shuv is used hundreds and hundreds of times all throughout Scripture pertaining to objects or possessions or relationships, the spiritual and the personal. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But this word shavah is only used one time, and it's right here in Psalm 126. And it's pertaining specifically to the return of property. And it says that it was like a dream to them. And just for a second, I want you to think about uh, your childhood home. You know, for me, it's, it's 332 Conrad Circle, Columbia, South Carolina. That's where I grew up. Our, our city's motto was famously hot. Like we're the Olympic city here, there it's famously hot. So it's miserable. But I can still picture like my family, my, my parents' house, they still live there. This light bluish gray two-story house, wraparound porch. Um, there's a, a baseball field that we spray painted in the cul-de-sac when we were kids, and it's all still there. And these memories come flooding back, right, when we think about our, our childhood homes. And so here what happened is the Israelites were under the kings, right? They were under Saul, then David, then Solomon, then the nation became divided over Rehoboam, and they were in captivity. And so this psalm is about them returning to Jerusalem after the 70 years they just spent away. And there's something really nostalgic about thinking about home, right? About going home. Like every time Laura and I go uh, to South Carolina, I'm like, oh, this is where this happened. This is where this happened. And she's from Ohio. And every time we go back to Ohio, she's like, oh, hey, babe, look, that's the mailbox that I hit when I was learning how to drive. And then she's like, oh, look, that's the, that's the mailbox that I hit. And I'm like, babe, you already, you already said that was the mailbox. She's like, oh, no, there's more than one mailbox. <laughs> you guys think I'm kidding, but that's a true story. There's like three or four of those things. And then a couple of them she's hit like multiple times. It's wild. But see, now, that they're, now they're coming home after the seven years away, and it was like a dream. And see, the people of Israel, they knew the promise of restoration that the Lord had given them. But you have to think that they had been going through this for 70 years. Like a generation came and went, people were born, people died. Like kids were growing up with their grandparents being like, someday we're going to go back to Jerusalem and the Lord's going to deliver. And they're like, all right, Grandma, like you've been saying this for 30 years. It's never going to happen. So when the moment actually came, when they were delivered back into Jerusalem and restoration came, it was a little bit overwhelming. 
And now, I don't know how many of you like uh, to hike, but we live in Colorado, so I would imagine at least some of you. And so we have this tradition uh, where every Thanksgiving, uh, a group of us and our friends, we go on vacation somewhere. And so a couple years ago, we went to Zion National Park, and we went to do this hike called Angel's Landing. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done it. It's awesome. But it is hard, and it is scary. And so it's one of, like, the deadliest hikes in America. And so you're walking through this valley, and it's gorgeous. And then you get to literally just, like, this wall of switchbacks, and you're miserable instantly. And then you get up the switchbacks, and then there's another wall of switchbacks, and then it opens up, and you're like, oh, we made it. And it turns out that's where the hike starts. <laughs> and so the first, like, move of the hike, it's a 45-degree angle with a 1,000-foot cliff, and they, like, bolted a chain to the side of the mountain, and they want you to, like, lean on it and just, like, shimmy across. And then there's other parts of the trail where it's, it's literally, like, three feet wide, and there's cliffs on the sides, and just like little like string ropes. You're like, I'm not doing this. And so we went, and there was a bunch of us, and uh, Jay and Bree came with us, and Bree was like six months pregnant at the time. It was super hot. Jay's scared of heights. Everyone's complaining. Everyone's miserable. And then you have like those really nice people on the hikes who are like, you're almost there. Just keep going. And you're like, I know that I'm not three. You're the third person that's told me this. You're a liar. I've been hiking for three hours. Like, we can't almost be there for three hours. So long story short, we get to the top, and it was incredible. It was like a dream, right? Everything that we endured suddenly became so worth it. There was laughing. I think there was probably some crying. But there was this peace that came, and there's a peace that comes with arrival. And there was joy at the top. But there wouldn't have been that peace and there wouldn't have been that joy unless we had gone on that journey. And that's what we see here in verse 2 when it says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. And see, the mercy here was so unexpected to them, so amazing that they couldn't do anything else but laugh. And they laughed so much so that their hearts were full and they were filled with joy. And then we see, we see here the people of God being set free and being brought back to the city of Jerusalem. And when they arrive, again, it's like a dream. They're filled with laughter and joy because God delivered on his promise and because they've seen God's goodness in their lives. And I love what it says here too, and it says, among the nations. And this is talking about other nations, surrounding nations, godless nations, and these godless nations are looking on at, at, at Israel and they're seeing God's favor and his provision in their life and they're noticing that there's something special about these people, the people of God. And so have you ever walked hand in hand with God or been blessed with him and seen him do great things in your life and you have maybe a friend who isn't a believer or someone around you who's like, man, you just have really good luck. We're like, man, everything always works out for you. Like, you're always dealt the best uh, hand. And even when your life is falling apart, I just know it's all going to work out because there's something about you that it always works out. But guys, that's not luck. That's God. And that's his favor for you and his favor for me. 
And so I have this friend that I've known for years and years and years. And uh, he always says to me, chicken wings. That's what he always says. And there's a story, I'm going to tell it, and then it'll make sense. But because there's been stuff in my life uh, that have happened, there's been stuff in my life that's happened like this in the past. And, and where this story comes from is, uh, so I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, like I said, huge football town, like South Carolina Gamecocks. Some guy wanted to yell Roll Tide last night. No, I thought I heard a murmur or something. Somebody was going to say something. That's okay. <laughs> so college football is huge in my town. Saturday nights, everybody is going, you know, either watching the game, going out for wings or whatever. So in high school on Saturday nights, we would always go out and we'd eat chicken wings. And we're poor. No one has any money. So our moms would have to give us money, right? And so I forgot my wallet and I get there and nobody has enough money to pay for my chicken wings. And so I'm just like, well, I'm just going to sit here and watch you guys eat chicken wings and watch football, I guess. And the waiter comes up and I'm like, hey, um, I don't know if this ever happens, but if you ever just have like chicken wings that you want to just like give away to somebody, <laughs> like I'm here and I'll, I'll eat them. And uh, I'll never forget. He literally like rolls his eyes and he's like, that literally never happens. <laughs> and even if it did, I'm not going to do that. I was like, all right, okay. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you have not because you ask not. You know what I'm saying? And so no kidding, two minutes later, this man brings me 30 chicken wings. And he's like, uh, so yeah, we messed it up. I was going to throw them away. And now you can have them. And so my friend is like, every time anything like this happens, he's like, you and your chicken wings, man, it's chicken wings. I know that's like a really silly example, right? But there's a deeper truth here, that there's favor from our creator who always protects his children, who blesses them, who provides for them. And that's who he is because that's who he says he is, amen? And if, if, if that wasn't who he is, then he wouldn't be God. And he promises that every gift that he gives is good. And just like the lilies of the field, he's going to clothe you. And it says here that they were filled with joy. And what I want us to notice this morning is that being filled with joy means that there's no room for a lack of gratitude. And I would argue that if there are areas in your life this morning where you have a lack of gratitude or you're ungrateful, that you will also find the same area is where you struggle to trust the Lord. Because wherever you harbor ingratitude, you also harbor distrust. And this thought of, man, God, this can't be it. Or, man, God, this isn't good enough. Or, man, God, there has to be more. And why is it so often that we go through life feeling like that? Like feeling like something's missing. And maybe today you're sitting in here feeling like something's missing in your life. Maybe in your marriage, you feel like something's missing. In your job, you feel like something's missing. Maybe your hopes or your dreams, that something's missing. And maybe this morning, you feel like something in your faith is missing. You're at the point where you're like, God, there has to be more than this. And usually when I've gotten to that place, and if I'm being honest, I've gotten to that place a lot recently. It's usually because I'm not praying enough. It's usually because I'm not giving the Lord the time he deserves. I'm really focusing on the things that I don't have 
rather than all of the blessings and the things that God has given me. I'm more connected to my pain than my, pro- than my purpose. But hear me on this. When we become reconnected to our purpose in accordance to Christ Jesus and the word of God, everything can go wrong in our lives, but we can still feel holy, man. I know that's hard. But why? It's because truly in bad circumstances, God is still faithful. Because when we're dependent on God and his promises and his character and his perfect will for us, we can be whole. And I can be in a bad situation, but that doesn't mean a bad situation is in me. Because we believe that where we're going is better than what we're going through. And the last time I checked, you know, he who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. Amen. And I love what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 3 and 4. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. But it says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suf- suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And what Paul is saying here is that for Christians, trial is just a part of life. And our tendency, I think, a lot of times is to hate trial and to hate tribulation and wish wish that these things never happened for us and to hate the things that are hard. But we shouldn't desire that. And I know that's really hard. But we see that a tribulation-free Christian life never grows us because God uses tribulation in our lives wonderfully and beautifully. And it builds perseverance and character and hope And whether we like it or not, that's the progression of Christian growth and maturity. You know, one virtue builds on another virtue, builds on another virtue as we grow in the pattern uh, of Jesus Christ. And I think everyone in here would say, like, man, I do, I do want to grow in my character. I want to grow in the hope that I have. I want to grow in peace. But what we see in this passage is that that these qualities are birthed from, from perseverance, and it comes through trial. And like, I, personally, I wish that God would just like sprinkle out these things while we're sleeping. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh, Billy's asleep. I'm going to give him more hope and more peace. And I'm like, yes, Lord, a double portion. Get poured out. And then you wake up in the morning. You're like, man, I, the Lord did something while I was sleeping. I feel great. But that's not how it works, right? And, but something that God has really been teaching me uh, through this season that we're going through is that you can't stay stuck in your mess. Because he's good and he can be trusted. That even through everything that you're going through, you can still find joy and you can still find peace and you can still find hope. We have to work at it and it's a choice and it's hard. You know, but we see in scripture over 300 times this if you, then God will analogy. If you seek, if you ask, if you knock, right? Then the door will be open to you. And I think that, that some of us sometimes get into this place where we just are, are sitting around hoping that joy falls into our lives or hoping that these things fall into our, our laps. But we're not seeking, we're not asking, we're not knocking, we're not doing anything. We're trying to be a passive bystander in a process that takes action. And one of the things I, I've caught myself saying a lot recently is, uh, it is what it is. I don't know if you ever said that, you probably have. But I'm learning that it's a trap. 
Like this season of my life is what it is. You know, my marriage is what it is. This job is what it is. And I don't know what in your life is what it is, but there's something this morning that is what it is. But that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, and I love what Paul says about this in Philippians. And he said, I found the secret to being content in any situation. You know, even every, after everything he's been through, being in prison, being beaten, and all these things, he's found the secret to being content in every situation. And uh, in this passage, most, most people believe that Paul was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And if you ever look up the Mamertine prison, it's a, a big circle cell, right? And then in the middle of the cell, there's a smaller circle that, that is for like flight risk or like high risk uh, prisoners, right? And so they would take a rope and they would tie a rope to these prisoners and they would lower them down into this, this lower hole. And you're like, well, why would they do that? So in Rome, there's some, I'm going to tell you. So in Rome, there's something called the cloaca maxima. And what this means is the great sewer, right? And so when Rome would flood, when it would rain, the people in this lower part of the cell would be covered in the sewage from the wastewater of Rome. So they would have this rope around them so they could pull them out so they didn't drown in the wastewater. And Paul's writing this and he's like, I found the secret to being content. And he's in a really, really bad spot. And the crazy thing is that a lot of scholars believe that they were having to change the Roman guard every hour on the hour in the Mamertine prison for Paul because he was preaching the gospel so heavily that he was converting guard after guard after guard. So they weren't allowed to spend any time with Paul. <laughs> and what I love about this is that Paul realized, and what we have to realize, is there's a difference between being stuck in our problem and being content, right? And the definition for content here is a state of peaceful happiness. Because the joy of the Lord was his strength, not the joy of his situation, right? And maybe if we took on the perspective of Paul a little bit more, that the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Choosing to be grateful, choosing to press into the Lord in the midst of hardship, people would look at our lives and think, man, I know that that guy's really going through it. And yet he's still happy and he's still finding joy. Like, what is it about him? And we know that it's Christ at work in our lives. So you may be saying, you mean to tell me that I, in the midst of the worst of it that I can be happy? And the answer is yes. But you have to allow your life to be in Christ and you have to allow Christ's life to be in you. Speaking of sewage, has anyone ever been to Greeley? Yeah, you guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I had never been to Greeley. I moved here um, six, almost, six, six, almost six years ago. And a couple years ago, Jay and I went to Greeley to hang out with a friend of ours named Adam who worked here for a little while. And we're driving, we're driving, and then all of a sudden, like, the car just starts to stink, right? And we're both doing that, like, polite, like, side-eye thing, like nobody wants to say anything, but both of us know it's the other person. <laughs> and so uh, then it just got to, the, to a breaking point, and Jay's like, come on, man. I was like, that's not me, that's you. Like, don't come on, man, me. We both know that it's you, because it's not me. 
Well, it turns out it's just literally the town of Greeley. Just <laughs> smells. But there's something really weird about Greeley. And like the whole town has become desensitized to the smell that they live in every day. I'm like, Adam, how do you live here? He's like, I, I don't even smell it anymore. Like, I really don't. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, no kidding, we're at the gas station, and like the, gas, the inside of the gas station smells. I'm like, Jay, it stinks in here too. And this old, man, this old man's like, hey, boy, it smells like money. I'm like, no, it, do, it does not smell like money. It smells like manure in here. Like, don't try and play yourself. Oh, man, that's the truth. All that's true. It's crazy. Hey, but some of us have been living in our mess for so long that we've redefined what it is, right? We've become nose blind to it. You've renamed this smell, this, this struggle in your life to something that you can live with. You've adjusted making, making it work, making it a part of your life. You know, you've accepted depression or you've accepted addiction or you've accepted your circumstance as something you're going to live with forever and that you're never going to get out of. But I want to remind you that the seeds that you're sowing in the midst of whatever you're going through, the seeds of contentment, the seeds of joy, the seeds of endurance in your trial will reap joy in your life. So keep pressing forward. Don't get stuck. Hear me on that. Don't get stuck. Keep moving, keep trusting, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And so what have you gotten used to this morning that God wants to set you free of? You know, what have you accepted in defeat that God wants to give you joy or victory in? And I think it's important, too, to mention that finding joy and contentment in trial doesn't mean uh, that you're pretending doesn't mean that you're not sad. It doesn't mean that you're not grieving. It doesn't mean that you're not struggling. It doesn't mean that you're being fake. You know, you can be sad and acknowledge pain and acknowledge suffering and feel it, but still simultaneously have joy and peace and contentment. And I think it's frustrating sometimes when Christians try to to put band-aids, you know, you know, use verses to put band-aids on suffering and pretend like they're not hurting. You know, and we see this with, with Jesus weeping over the death of Lazarus. Like he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life and that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still took the time to grieve and he still took the time to be sad. You know, one of the things that my wife and I have been saying to each other in this season is it's okay to be sad. And it's, it's not that we don't, you know, lack hope or we can't find peace in it because you can have both. And in Colorado, we're, we're really familiar with wildfires, right? And I'm sure you've driven, you know, Black Forest or the Wild Canyon Fire, and you've seen the effects of, of these wildfires. And I, I learned something new this week about trees. With, yeah, it's kind of weird, but it's really cool. So I'm going to tell you about it. And so did you know that some trees actually require fire to propagate and to thrive? See, there's, there's a lot of trees that produce these, these cones, right? And they're sealed with resin. And the only way to open these pine cones or these cones so that the seedlings can come out is if the resin 
is exposed to fire. And we know that from this fire, there's ash on the ground. And the crazy thing is that the fire that opens these, these cones produces the ash, and the ash is actually the perfect environment for these seedlings to grow. And so what appears to be devastation is often a rebirth. And just as the heat from the fire causes these cones to open, I really believe that God allows pressure and discomfort in our trials to serve as a catalyst for growth in our lives. And so this morning, I just want to remind you that there's a purpose in what you're going through. There's a purpose in your fire. There's a purpose in your trial. And God doesn't waste anything in our lives. But sometimes we have to walk through the fire to experience revival. And in verse 4, he goes on and he says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. You may be thinking, like, what the heck just happened? They just got back to Jerusalem. Why are they asking that the Lord would bring back their captivity? In the second half of this psalm, it's not denying what just happened or discrediting the first half of the psalm or anything like that. But they're recognizing that there's still work to be done. And that them going home to Jerusalem is just the start of their restoration process. And I think it's interesting the pattern that we go through in trial, right? Like when we're in it and we're going through hard things, we're almost like hyper-spiritual in a sense, and we're really relying on the Lord. You know, we're, we're praying, we're spending time, we have this kind of, this heart of desperation. And then we come out of the trial, or we're starting to come out, or, or the shock wears off, and we start to depend on the Lord a little less, right? We start to settle into our routine a little bit more. We start to rely on him a little less and a little less. And I think this is a heart check for that this morning. They didn't want to forget what the Lord had done. And they didn't want to forget the desperation that they had been in for 70 years. And so they were making the conscious decision to look to the Lord because they knew that he was still working and he was still taking them through the process of restoration. And they were remaining joyful in that. They were praising him. They were glorifying the Lord. So guys, don't let your past become forgotten. But let your past become the ground for a strong hope in the better days to come because better days are coming. And this is probably my favorite verse in the chapter. Verse 5 and 6, and it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with him. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Man, what a great reminder this morning. Amen. That our seasons of joy are often preceded by seasons of tears. And you may be in a season of sowing in tears or feeling hopeless or feeling like you just can't do it. But there's a promise of joy that's still present uh, in your life, and joy is waiting on the other side. And so remember what you're sowing will produce joy. And honestly, we may not see it in this life, but what we sow in the Spirit will reap in life everlasting, and that's a worthy harvest. Amen? And so I love what the author says in this passage, and he says, those who continually go forth, say continually, those who continually go forth shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. And so keep going forward. Just take the next step. Just do the next thing. 
You know, some days, honestly, it might just be getting out of bed in the morning. That might be your next thing. Some days it'll look like loving your spouse a little more selflessly. You know, some days it'll be going to a job that you can't stand and giving it your all. Some days it'll look like loving your kids more than you want to. But keep moving, keep pushing forward, and keep pressing on. And that's kind of where we are as a family right now, uh, to be honest, you know, just taking it one step at a time. You know, trying to find joy in the little things and and honestly, it's been making the little victories that we've seen uh, that much more special. And some of you have walked through some really hard things, and some of you are walking through some really hard things, but either way, uh, there's joy to be found this morning. And the joy that comes with looking back at the Lord's provision, or the joy that comes with looking ahead at the Lord's promise. We have to keep our eyes fixed on that promise in the midst of the trial. And so there are three things uh, this morning that I just want to close with to help us kind of examine our hearts and help us find joy in the midst. So the first one is, are you faking it? You know, saying, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, how's your job? It's fine. You know, how's your, how's your wife? It's fine. How are your kids? It's fine. How's lunch today? It's fine. You know what I mean? But acknowledge that it is hard and that you're in the midst of a difficult journey and that you're sowing seeds of tears and grief, but not without hope and not without peace and not without joy because we have a beautiful promise. And I, something that I've been realizing a lot lately is, is there's this knee-jerk reaction in our culture and at the church and just, you know, everywhere. When you ask someone how they're doing, they always say, like, I'm great. But if you follow up that question with, are you sure? Or like, but how are you doing? The answer changes so quick, so quickly. And so a couple weeks ago, there's a guy on the worship team and like, we're just talking, hanging out. And I was like, hey man, like, how was your week this week? And he's like, dude, it was great. I was like, are you sure? And he was like, oh, well, this week was actually the worst week that we've had in a really long time. I was like, why didn't we just start with that? Like, why do we have to do that? What if I didn't ask again? You were just going to be like, everything's fine, and so I'll see you later. But no, but it led to, you know, conversation and being able to talk and to pray, and, and it, was, it was awesome. So don't fake it. The second thing is you keep saying, I'll deal with it later. You know, I'm a terrible procrastinator. Just, that's who I am. I've embraced it. I didn't even read this passage until like 10 minutes before I got up here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I said that the, the past two services and everyone thought I was serious and no one laughed. <laughs> and I was like, this service, I was like, I'm not going to do it. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Maybe third time's the charm. So thank you. That was great. No, but so I had this teacher uh, in high school and she would always say, Billy, procrastination is the grave in which opportunity lies. I was like, I don't know what that means, and I don't care what it means. And so it is what it is. That was a habit. That wasn't even on purpose. <laughs> oh, man. But no, as I've gotten older and I've thought about that more, like think about that for a second, that procrastination is the grave in which opportunity lies. 
And what are you waiting to deal with this morning that God wants to breathe life into? That God wants to give an opportunity to speak into? You know, maybe it's believing in Christ for the first time. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a hope. Maybe it's your family. But guys, today is the day to stick the flag in the ground and to do something. Whether it's being vulnerable with a spouse, with a friend, coming down for prayer. Maybe you find someone in the church that you've never seen before and you tell them what's going on and you hope you never see them again. But do something. And the third thing is, and I think this is the most dangerous one, um, you're giving up. You know, you say, I'm done. And you accept where you are in that space that you're in as your new normal. You know, you've accepted depression or you've accepted fear or you've accepted anxiety as just a part of your identity instead of embracing the identity that you have in Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to do that. God doesn't want you to do that. This church doesn't want you to do that. Your friends don't want you to do that. Your family doesn't want you to do that because God's just getting started in your life. I want you to hear me on this, that God sees you. He sees the troubles that you're going through and he sees you trying your best to push forward even when times are hard and he loves you. And for those of you in here this morning that are going through the valley, like, I just want to encourage you to stay the course. You know, don't look left, don't look right. Just keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on the promise. Keep plowing, keep sowing, even when the sowing comes with tears. Because I'm really praying and believing that in your life, you're going to reap a great harvest for your consistency and your faithfulness to God in the midst of, of hardship. Because that's what we're called to do, right? Like we're called to keep moving forward, faithfully pressing into the Lord, praising him, telling people about Jesus, sowing those seeds. And we can sow seeds even when our eyes are filled with tears, even when it feels like we can't get up in the morning because life has beaten us down so hard. And press into gratitude. Like just because some areas of your life are falling apart doesn't mean that the Lord's not at work. Take time to acknowledge what you have to be thankful for, and your gratitude is going to reveal God's goodness in your life. And for those of you that are in seasons of reaping and rejoicing, praise God, right? Press into that. Like, don't lose the dependence that you have on God if you're comfortable. Take time to remember what he's brought you through. Take time to look back at your life at the hard seasons and remember his faithfulness. And let the memories of the journey through hardship make your seasons of joy that much sweeter because you've literally tasted, that the Lord, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so remember our blank from the beginning? What is God calling you to trust him in today? You know, the question was, can I trust God with blank? And the answer is Yes. But I think the real question is, will you trust God with whatever it is? And so just as we spend some time in worship and we spend some time responding, like let's really allow the Holy Spirit uh, to speak to us, to reveal areas of hardship, to reveal areas that we should be grateful in.
to reveal the things that we need to surrender afresh to him this morning. You know, we'll have a prayer team down here. Just encourage you to come down for prayer if you're feeling overwhelmed or you, want, or you need joy in your life. Talk to somebody around you, but guys, do something. Like we have an opportunity this morning that's fresh to allow the Lord to come and to speak and to revive and to bring joy and to bring peace and to bring comfort in the midst of what we're going through. You know, I think it's really, it's really cool uh, to, to look back on your life and see, you know, the things that, that the Lord has done. Because those testimonies speak volumes to other people who are in the midst of trial. So don't be afraid to tell what the Lord has done in your life. Don't be afraid to tell your glory stories. Because you never know how they're going to encourage someone's heart in a difficult situation or a dif- difficult season. So we're just going to take the next, you know, five or ten minutes and really allow the Lord to do his thing. So I just encourage you to open up your heart afresh this morning. And Father, we just pray that as we, we enter into worship, God, that you would give us discernment. God, to how you're speaking, to what you're speaking, to what you want to do in and through us, Lord. God, and even for those of us in here who are, who are in the midst of a trial or in the midst of a hard season, God, we know that there's joy that's coming on the other side, whether it's in this life or the next, and we say thank you for that, as hard as it may be. And Lord, for those of us who are in a season of reaping, we rejoice in that. And Lord, would you help us to not lose sight of the things that you've done in our past and the things that you've led us through, but God, to be grateful for that. And Lord, in the areas that we have trouble trusting you, God, would you encourage us to give it all this morning, to surrender afresh. So we're excited and expectant of what you're going to do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.